Church. Good morning, everyone joining us online. So thankful to be together, to worship together. You can see that I don't have my guitar in my hands. This is my friend Alvin. Super thankful for him. He's such a gifted worship leader, loves the Lord, such an incredible, incredible lover of Jesus. So he's going to be leading us in worship today. I'm super excited for that. So if you guys want to stand up, we are going to jump in. Let's just give, let's give Alvin a quick round of applause. We're so thankful he's here. Thank you guys. It's an honor to be with you today. So let's just worship. Let's just go in together. I'm just going to pray real quick and then, then we can go for it. So Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you that you are God. Thank you, Father, that we get the opportunity to worship you, Father. Thank you that that is why we are created, is to worship you, God. Thank you that worship goes beyond moments like this. It goes beyond... Uh, singing songs on Sunday. It's a way that we can live our everyday lives, Lord. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would mark each and every person here with a lifestyle of worship, God, beyond just singing, Lord God, that, that they would just be marked with, with a heart that desires to worship you at work, with the kids, with a husband and wife, with doing everyday things, just to worship you, Father. And so we honor you, God, and we take this time just to, just to bless your name. Lord, we bless you, Jesus. Thank you. 
Sunday that 2,000 years ago everyone was hailing your name Hosanna in the highest and claiming your glory and little did we know all that was waiting for you to do what you did for us and why we can still be so keenly aware of how powerful and wonderful your name is 2,000 years later because we are so desperate for so desperate of you, for you, and so grateful for what you did for us. And we invite you here in our presence this morning and ask you to, to just fill all the void of all the places that we go in our minds and the fears and the, the way we so often can pull ourselves in or to other things and just saturate and adore you this morning and that we would just be saturated in your presence all glory and honor is yours and we thank you for this day and for this week to come and all that you do in our lives and in our hearts continually resurrecting and redeeming us in your powerful name we pray jesus you all for being here this morning. We love the family worship mornings because we get to have all the cute little representations of um, life, as you see. And, um, and you may notice that we have some special fun that's waiting for us afterwards. If you just look over my shoulder, you may see some sprinklings of color and some fun that awaits all these precious little worshipers. So, be sure and stay after the service and don't miss your your sweet opportunity. Emphasis on sweet. So um, thank you all for being here this morning. And um, in a reference to what awaits next Sunday, we will have all of our regular services, um, that the service times, we don't adjust them. So just know that 8.30 at the beach and 10.30 here at the Norris is still ongoing next Sunday. So we hope to see you and um, see your families and uh, worship together the, the resurrected Lord and um, the joyous day that is. And um, then also we have a special uh, guest this morning too uh, to give us a little update who has a, a passion for sharing God's good news and gospel throughout the world, our own Dennis Wadley here. So Dennis is going to share a little bit. Hi, River family. Good morning. Leave that on there. Um, I have the privilege of sharing just a quick little update with you all on um, what's happening with the mission and outreach team uh, here at the River. Uh, the, the mission statement of the River Church, if you have not memorized it, I just want to remind you. It says, we are highly, hopelessly relational, a highly hopelessly relational church. And I love the fact that that is the basis for the mission statement of the river because that's what it's all about. You know, the, the God of the universe has a passion for us. He has a passion for relationship with each of us. He pursues us. He loves us. He sent his own son to come down to this earth so that we could have a relationship with him. But then he also calls us into a depth of relationship with others. 
It goes on and it says, devoted to the words and the ways of Jesus, pursuing cultural renewal and life change in the South Bay and beyond, all to the glory of God. And the missions and outreach team, I just wanna let you know, they are here to help you live this out. Uh, it's our hope that we are giving you opportunities that you can engage with the world around us, that we're able to support you in the ministry that God has called you to. Um, our, our team wants to provide local and global opportunities, and they want the things that are burning in your heart, the passions that you have, to be what we are able to support and cheer on. Everybody thinks about missions and thinks, well, we, we give. And giving's a part of missions. We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. But there's a whole lot more in that God calls each of us to engage our lives in making a difference. Um, there's a passage that I love in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. He gave apostles. Those are the people that are sent out, the prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. And a lot of times what we think is, well, we come and we kind of support the ministry of all those church leaders. But that is not at all God's vision of the church, and it's not, just so you know, it's not the river's vision of the church. The river's vision of the church and God's vision of the church is that every single one of us is a missionary. Every single one of us is a minister. Every single one of us is called by God to impact the world around us, and he's created us to do that. That verse goes on, and it says, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. So it's us as leaders who equip the saints to do the work of ministry. It's everybody's ministry. And we just want to remind you of that. We also know for some of you, you are already engaged in something and we may not know about it. Let us know so we can be praying for you. You may be, have a small group that, that has a ministry. Let us know. As, as the world kind of opens up again, we want to be ready to make a difference in all the places that God is leading you as the family here at the river. Uh, there's a couple things I just want to highlight. Uh, as we go through this series, The Art of Following Jesus, it's, it's not just a teaching series. This is a statement of who the river is. God called us to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us is called to discipleship making, and this is a way to do that. We want to expand that to all the people that are connected to the river beyond our borders. That means people in Reignite Hope, the welding ministry. Um, we want to give them the opportunity to go through this series, and some of you might want to serve as coaches. You might be able to meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. You might want to do it through Zoom. Uh, we want to engage our international community. One of the cool benefits of COVID is that the whole world has gotten better at communicating through things like Zoom. And so we want to give the opportunity of our, our pastors and leaders and even people on the ground all around the world and say, hey, would you want to go through the art of following Jesus with someone at the River Church? So if you feel like that's something God is stirring your heart for, let us know and we'll connect you with someone here or around the world who wants to go through that. Reignite Hope is going again. They are needing people to provide lunches. So a way to minister, make lunches and, and be a part of that. Um, you can talk to Katrine about that. River Care is gonna have a training in June. They're wanting people of all ages. River Care is a counseling ministry, a support ministry here of the river. And uh, they wanna invite you to consider that Baja Bound. 
um, is taking place. Um, God is moving in all different kinds of ways. We're talking about a great big vision that might help engage the river in a global training center in Africa. Um, and then the last thing I would just ask is you'd pray for my wife, Susan, and I. Uh, one of the places that God has led us in the last decade is Ethiopia. The part of Ethiopia that we work in is the place that right now the genocide is happening. It's the Tigrinian region, uh, Tigray region of, of Ethiopia. And the city, the city that's the capital of that region is called Mekele. That's where we run a master's program, training people up in community development and leadership in the Orthodox Church. And they have taken in over 2,000 refugees. Um, if you've read anything about what's happening in Ethiopia, it's heinous. And, and rape has been used as an act of war. It is just, it is a heinous, heinous thing. And they have 2,210 refugees right now. We're providing funds for them to feed them. They need clothing. They need shoes. A lot of these people fled from their villages when they were attacked with just the clothes on their backs. And so um, we're going to give an opportunity for you all to do your spring cleaning and bring clothes and shoes. And we need kids' clothes, all ages. Um, nothing too large because they're pretty small people for the most part. Um, but to be able to give something it, practically out of your own. Uh, but pray for us, too, just about going. We're planning on going in the next couple of weeks, and we would appreciate just God's wisdom and all as we step out. So let's pray together right now. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that you've called us each, Lord, to minister to those who you've placed in our heart, that you have called us to, that you've, Lord, placed in our family, you've placed in our neighborhood, you've placed, Lord, in our school, in our workplace. Lord, these are the people you have called us to and you've created us for. And I pray for every single one of the people here, Lord, in this church family, that you will just give them eyes to see it's, it's your calling in, in their lives. Lord, it's no accident that they are where they are. And their past is, Lord, it's your journey for them. And so I just pray that you will redeem all the messes of our lives and allow us to make a difference where we are. And then, Lord, lead us into how we can make the greatest impact all around the globe. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, River family. I'll be around afterwards. I'd love to talk. Well, thank you, Dennis. It's so good to be reminded that we all are missionaries, really, just whether it's next door or in our whatever, wherever it leads us. So thank you. We welcome all of you that are at home and all of you that are here today. And I want to introduce our um, tremendous um, speaker this morning. Many of us know him, and I'd have to say, in a nod to Easter, one of my favorite candies is the Cadbury egg, and I'd have to say that our speaker is a little like a Cadbury egg. If you know him, super wonderful and just so yummy, like you think it's all there, you know, with the chocolate goodness on the outside, but the best is the ooey-gooey, wonderful center, and he brings fun and joy and sweetness and enthusiasm for life for everyone he touches, and um so we get the pleasure of hearing from James this morning, James Pettifels. I hope we caught all that for the staff page. I want that to be the bio. That is, so, oh my gosh, Heather. You know, this is just the truth. And um, Alvin, I'm going to borrow your, your stand. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I won't take your iPad, though, I promise. All right, I'm going to sit right here. Um, true story. That's always a great like way for a pastor to start a sermon. True story. But, uh, you know, when I get a chance to speak at different environments and places, 
Um, I, what is going on here? I, um, I am, if I'm nervous about it, or it's like a church or a large group I don't really know well, and I kind of feel intimidated, like, oh, there's a lot of people. I don't really know them. I actually picture uh, Heather and Gary Hirschberger in the audience. I'm not kidding. You're literally, like, in my little row of, like, okay, I'm safe. They're there. Okay. So there's a compliment right back at you. I don't know if that's a compliment. It's kind of creepy, I guess, but it's not creepy the way I, I'm thinking about it. Um, okay, so let me just start off this morning uh, with a moment of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you are um, present and your mercies are new every morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to start this sermon off with a really important uh, message, which is if you're sitting in the sun and you get hot, just go ahead and move. Like it is not an endurance. Enduring my sermon is bad enough, okay? So just don't get heat stroke. I'm just inviting all of you to make that move if necessary. Uh, at any time, it's all good. So uh, I am so blessed and privileged to be able to begin um, really the last leg of um, the current sort of sermon series looking at how we as the River Church want to be followers of the words and ways of Jesus. And we're sort of entering into our last um, church value, although we have many, but our last featured value of share, of share. We want to be a people that share the story. And so I get to preach on sharing the gospel or evangelism is kind of a technical term that sometimes we use. And um, and really what gospel means or evangelism means, it literally means sharing good news, good newsing people. And so as those who call themselves followers of Jesus, we are like a good newsing people. Now, there is a challenge we're all going to face as human beings, at least in the U.S. That's the culture I'm most familiar with or, or the larger culture. And it's this: what is like in our world right now, what is newsworthy? Think about newsworthy things, right? If you just jump onto any of the major news networks' splash page or their, their landing page, what kind of stories are newsworthy? Anybody? Any thoughts on that? <laughs> yes. Beautiful. So, so we have a crisis, right, of children coming. Okay, that's one thing that would be on the news page. What else? What other things are on the news uh, features? What are some features on the news? Anyone? What's newsworthy these days? Everyone's like, I don't. I'm not supposed to talk. This isn't a classroom. This is a. I'm supposed to sit and passively learn. Well, I'm a professor, people. And the other, yes, in the back. Okay. <laughs> All right. So another professor bails me out with interaction. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Yes. Yeah, so divorce, celebrity divorce. Good. Violence. Violence. Good. Any other thoughts? Pandemic. <laughs> Global pandemic. Like, so one of the themes we're, we're already seeing emerging is it's not really good news. It's not really good right? It's not kind of, we are not, newsworthy things are typically not good things that we're excited about. Even when there's good news, for example, vaccines found to be highly effective. 
but will it help with the variants, right? Los Angeles numbers have come down, but the holidays are coming, right? And my favorite line is whenever there's like a good news title, but experts fear dot, 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 right? It's like everything. It's sort of like when you eat at like Old Tony's. I love Old Tony's, so great place. I love one of the greatest spots in the South Bay. It's a treasure, okay? I have an Old Tony's tank top to prove it. But anything you eat there is going to taste a little bit like shrimp, too. Well, you know what I mean? Like the, a kale salad, a little bit of shrimp in there. It just it tastes it, right? Everything. Even our good news has got a little bit of bad news mixed into it. Like we just sort of roll that way. And so as human beings, not just because the media, it's not because the media is just morbid. It's because we as human beings are sort of more attracted to bad things than good things. It's actually part of our like psychological negativity bias. It's a survival skill. We, are, we default to thinking about bad things. I want to ask a kind of semi-vulnerable question. You don't have to answer, but come on. Um, how many of you this week at some point woke up at night and had trouble getting back to sleep because of just some negative fears or thoughts? Look around real quickly. This is the peaceful. Okay, there, okay now there goes the honesty. The wave of honesty hits. Right? Like how many of us, we just think about how it's very rare that I wake up at 3 in the morning and go, Oh, life is so good. I'm in a safe bedroom. My body seems to be working well. Life is so good. And I just lull myself back to sleep. That happens on Christmas Eve, right? That's about it. <laughs> That's all. And so we're naturally inclined to kind of bad things. So as good news people, as people with good news, like sometimes even the way we think about bringing good news, and I'll speak as a pastor the preaching we do on good news can so often be laced with sort of bad news. So like, I'll just, you know, I grew up, I grew up in church. I was born on a Tuesday in church on Sunday, right? Like super, super church kid. Like my breath, it smells like, like communion tablets. You know, it's like, if you cut me, I bleed out church bulletins. I dream in flannel graph. Okay, that was just, I wrote these down, by the way, before. <laughs> I literally wrote those down. It's my bit on being a church kid. But I like, so I've been around for a long time in church. If you're newer to it or someone kind of brought you here, um, just for a second, like kind of look over the fence at this Jesus stuff and see what we're about. But for a minute, like just to talk to those of you that have been around it a little bit, and let's just reflect, like sometimes we have a tendency to turn even how to share about the good news into kind of a negative thing. So how many messages have I sat through and probably given where the, the thesis is something like, you need to share the gospel more. You're not doing enough. You know how many people haven't heard? Here's some terrible statistics. You know how many people haven't shared their faith? Here's some terrible statistics. And so suddenly a sermon on good news is really bad news and really a bummer. And you leave going, well, I guess I better do better. Which, is that the gospel? To do better? It's kind of the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is better was done for you. And, and so even in the way we approach the gospel, for me personally, when I saw that this is what I was preaching on, I was sort of like, oh no, I'm preaching on evangelism. Because my head floods in with all these kind of memories and sort of more negative angles on this topic. So for me to get to the sermon itself, 
I really said, let's take this morning and let's kind of do like a full on together. Let's do a big rinse of good news. Let's just do like a rinse of good news. Okay. Because we need it. You need it. I need it. A full on bath in good news. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to start off. I'm just going to read something. I, I, I took way too long writing out a, uh, my understanding of the good news. I wrote it out. It's like two pages. It's really, 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 um, it's a lot to read for a sermon. I've never done this before. Okay. So it's new territory for me. I just want to read it. I want us to zoom like all the way out. If this is Google maps, pinch the screen, pinch the screen, pinch the screen until you see the globe. I want to zoom all the way out and just look at the sweeping panoramic view of the gospel. And I'm going to read it to you. And then after that, we're going to zoom all the way in, all the way in, all the way in, go to street view and like just hop into one story in the gospel of John where we will behold an expert at sharing the good news and just learn from that encounter. Okay, that's, that's what we're going to do today. All right, so this is different for me, but I really want to ap- approach this afresh and let's take a quick rinse in some good news. And so here's what I've done. I've also put a playlist to it because I'm reading and that could be so boring. Not that this isn't, but that could be even more boring. It gets worse, people. And so I put some music to it and I want to read to you in six movements. I wrote this out and I also posted it on, or I didn't post it. I I don't do technical stuff. I'm bad at that. But uh, Caitlin Gepner amazingly posted it up on our resource page with the podcast for today. So go to our website, you'll find all of it. I posted it up, but I'm going to read it to you. So just sit back, relax. If you've never heard the gospel before or thought of it in the big picture as a story, um, this is an opportunity to get your first glimpse at it. And if you've heard it a million times, sit back and enjoy it for a million and one times. But I've written it out in six movements um, and let's, uh, let's do it. Here we go. The gospel. It simply means good news, but it's so much more than that. It's a majestic reality, a beautiful narrative. It's the story. Trying to tell this remarkable good news story in just a couple paragraphs is like expecting someone to describe in a sentence, why is Yosemite a special place? Or why is Van Gogh's starry night stunning? Or why does In-N-Out Burger taste so good? Whatever you say, you're going to miss something. So where does one start? The best place to start is at the beginning, the first movement. In the beginning, it was good. The Bible story begins reminding us again and again that God created everything and it was good, good, very good, Genesis 1. The Hebrew term tov, good is deployed multiple times throughout the first chapter of Genesis and the headline of the creation story is that God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them in pristine condition Genesis then underscores that God created humans man and woman in God's image that is human beings were created with the unique capacity to relate to God and to enjoy stewardship of the earth. It was all very good. Tov ma'ov in Hebrew. In short, prior to things going wrong, the portrait that scripture paints is of human beings relating to God. 
and shalom, peace. The poetic image that emerges in these early chapters of the scriptures is one of God enjoying unbroken community with humans in the context of creation. Taking walks in the cool of the day in the garden, Genesis 3.8. Movement two, then things go very, very bad. The scriptures race to the great tragedy of history. In Genesis 3, we read how humans essentially ball up their fists at God and say, thanks for everything, but we'll do life our own way. Sin, rebellion against God, it enters the world and immediately creates a rupture in divine human relations and in the relationships between humans, one another, and the earth. In the very next chapter, the first murder takes place. And one does not need to read far in the scriptures or in any history book to survey sin's destructive legacy. Everything evil, painful, ugly, and hopeless finds its source in this original sin. Movement three, but God launches a plan of rescue, restoration, and renewal. God doesn't just scrap the entire creation project and start something new in some far off dimension. Rather, he pursues a grand rescue operation. The scriptures sprint to the story of the fall in Genesis 3, to God's initiation of a plan of blessing in Genesis 12, lavishing his favor and renewed relationship. In Genesis 12, God calls a man named Abram, AKA Abraham, and promises blessing for Abraham. Abraham's descendants and God's promise, uh, uh, Abraham's descendants and God promises that somehow through the descendants of Abraham, God would extend his blessing to all humans. Genesis 12, three. The rest of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, recounts God caring for Abraham's line, Israel, teaching them, guiding them, correcting them, his people, Israel, were commissioned to be a nation of priests, Exodus 19.6, representing God to the nations and the nations to God. The ultimate means of God's restoration, however, remained unclear and somewhat shrouded in mystery. Movement four. The story of God's plan of renewal comes to a dramatic climax in Jesus. The scriptures tell us that God's plan to fix all that was broken by sin and to bridge the great chasm separating God and humans from our original union, that this takes a surprising turn. A turn that in the vast marketplace of human religions stands out as almost unthinkable. God comes downstairs, becomes fully human, while still maintaining his divinity. He lives, loves, teaches, heals, suffers crucifixion in a tiny corner of the world called Jerusalem and raises from the dead the culminating miracle above all miracles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all include the story of Jesus. His death, we are told, it's not just a martyrdom or a tragedy of justice. Rather, it's a grand sacrifice. It's payment for our sin, covering up our shame. It's reconciliation for our estrangement. It's the 
ultimate solution to the imposing problem of sin. Mark 10, 45, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 1 Peter 3, 18, Romans 5, 10, and so many other scriptures. Somehow, Jesus' death on that Roman cross made a way back home for all of us. Home in the arms of our God. Home in the lush garden of creation. Home in relationships of peace, love, and care with our fellow human beings, John 13, 35. It is in and through the work of Jesus that we are invited home. Jesus calls this Zoe Ionios, eternal life, John 3, 16. Movement five, in the end, it will be good. Eternal, full, unending, whole, real life, it begins now for those who entrust themselves to Jesus. John 17, 3, but it grows into forever. Those who have accepted God's gracious gift of forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus' sacrifice, they immediately enter into a new and renewed relationship with God. This includes a vast array of blessings. Just read Ephesians 1, chapter 1 through 3 to get a taste of those. But in particular, those trusting Jesus enjoy the abiding presence of God with us and in us, the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, John 14, Romans 8. The believer's reception of this Holy Spirit is mysterious for sure, but it is also one of the most important gifts foreshadowing the glorious culmination of history when God's work of restoration is complete. Just as the big story of the gospel begins in a garden, in the scriptures it fulfills in a garden again, Revelation 22. Movement six, what about you? This good news is not just a story that we hear about, but one that we are invited to live into right now. The really, really good news of the gospel is that you and I are not lost and excluded from our true purpose, enjoying unbroken relationship with God, fellow humans in the context of creation. God has done 100% of the work on our behalf. He's blazed the trail back home. He's paid the price for our rebellion. He's filled out the adoption paperwork and prepared a place for us at his lavish family dinner table. All we have to do is receive what he's already done. Say yes to him. In an act of faith, jump into his arms. We exchange our old life and cobbled together plans for his new plan for our life. This is both an individual choice, but it situates us within the parade of his people, tangibly lived out in the context of the local church. Okay, so there. Thank you so much, Amanda, for putting that music on. There it is, a long read. Again, I put it up there. This is sort of my take on the big picture. This isn't a one, two, three, like quick story, but I think it captures, I don't know, the broad strokes of what is the good news. And today, as we reflect and talk about sharing the good news, how do we share it? What are some important principles and effective methods and um, things to keep in mind as we share. This is the part that can get really tricky for me 
as a person, right? This is the part where I kind of get in my head a little bit. When I think about sharing with someone this great news story, how do I do that well? And I don't know about you, but I, I don't like sales. I'm not a fan of sales. I'm a terrible salesman. I think I'm a terrible salesman. When I was in high school, I worked for a certain shoe store. I won't say its name, but it was on Manhattan Avenue, and I worked there for a couple years. And it was so fun working on Manhattan Avenue. It was me and Chris Iomo. Some of you know Chris Iomo. He worked at like a cool surf shop with some of my other buddies. And we kind of ran Manhattan Avenue. It was our avenue for those years. And, <laughs> and I worked at this shoe store, and I didn't like the shoes at all but i had like one pair i had to buy or i had to i was given when i worked and at this shoe store i would have like these seven steps i would have to always use and it was this canned kind of sales pitch and i hated it like i'm like oh my gosh i have to say them though because if there's a secret shopper they'll ding you on the report if you don't say them so it's like hi welcome to blah 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 can i help you with anything and there's a few more one of the steps i had to literally ask people can I measure your foot? Like, it sounds like I have, like, a foot thing going on. Like, hey, can I measure your foot? Let me measure your foot. I just want to measure your foot. Come on. Let me measure your foot. Right? It's like this creep. Just get me my shoes. I don't want you measuring my foot. I'm an adult. I know what my shoe size is. And you're weird. So, like, my experience with sales uh, is when I'm in a box and there's, like, you must say this, then you must say this, and then you close the deal with this, I just, it cripples me. It crushes me. And the cool part is that our scriptures do not present the beautiful calling, the beautiful endeavor of gospel sharing. They don't present them in a one, two, three, one size fits all. This is how you do it. Memorize this and don't deviate from the sales plan. It doesn't do that. Actually, if you read through the scriptures, I'd encourage you to check out, like, for example, the Acts of the Apostles, one of the largest sections of narrative in the New Testament. When you look at it and say, what? What does the good news, the gospel, quote-unquote, story, what does it contain, what does it look like in each place it's being presented? What you will find is sort of some really uh, broad strokes of continuity in a lot of the story sharing, but also different approaches, different elements. Sometimes it includes this, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it has this on-ramp, sometimes it takes a different approach. So there's actually this really beautiful flexibility we see in the scriptures. And so when we think about delivering the message, rather than me give you like 20 tips for effective gospel delivery, all I want to do is land this plane of a sermon by looking at one episode of a master evangelist. I want us to open up the scroll of John, if you have your scriptures, John's gospel to chapter four. And I want us to watch the first ever evangelist to the region of ancient Samaria. And what's so cool about this, I think we're going to see, is this evangelist, she is the least likely person you could imagine for such an incredibly important role of story sharing. Yet she does it with a brilliance and authenticity that flows straight out of her life. So we're going to look at this um, together. John chapter four. I feel like I should have music my whole sermon just so it sounds better, right? Like this guy's good, man. The spirit's moving. It's, it's just John Williams that's moving. That's all. Okay. So John chapter four and, um, and let's start off in 
verse, I believe, verse 4. Okay, so this is the encounter. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He's in the midst of his traveling ministry. He came to a town of Samaria called Sukkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Those of you that have been around the Gospels for a while, you probably know this, but it's, it's worth underscoring. Like, she is, in the, from the perspective of the house of Israel, from the perspective of, like, the disciples and uh, the world at this time, she was the wrong ethnicity and the wrong gender to be encountering and spending time with Jesus right there. So she's out there at noon, and she's alone, which also means, like, this is a world where you don't go places alone. You rarely travel alone for so many reasons, but she's alone, and we're going to find out it's because people are probably embarrassed to be seen with her. She is a stigmatized person. She's the kind of person that when she walks in or you see her in the marketplace, in that ancient context, they're thinking, watch out for her. Wives, hold on to your men. Here she comes. Okay, so this is the woman. There she is. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, like, jumps over every barrier present, socially, morally, culturally, and he engages with her. He says, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And then she kind of defers the conversation. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them, it will become a spring of water welling up to Zoe Ionios, to eternal life. The woman said to him, Give me this water so I won't be thirsty. I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, and this is like really important. I want you to see the Genesis story, the origin story of this evangelist's mission. Where does it all begin with the Samaritan woman? It begins with this encounter with Jesus. And look where he goes. This is not a tame encounter with Jesus. This is not like a, you know, rated G, boring predictable, nice, tidy encounter. Jesus, like, repels into the darkest parts of her life and past. He just basically says, I'm not wasting time. You're a precious child of the living God. You are made in the image of God. You're living in shame. You're living in isolation. You've been abused and neglected and rejected. You've been written off by basically everyone, and we need to have a talk about that. And so he goes right there. He says, go call your husband and and come on back. 
She said, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is true. What we're already learning about this woman is that she is, she's not opting out of marriages. This is not 21st century like marital law where she's like, I'm done. This is a man's world, patriarchal, hierarchical Roman Mediterranean, um, Eastern Mediterranean. It is not a place where women were able to kind of jump around and do what they want. She has been displaced and rejected and likely abused by five different dudes. And the person she's with now isn't even willing to dignify her with the title wife. Notice where Jesus goes. He goes right to the most tender spot. And he says, we need to talk about this. You have to let me in to the most painful closet in your life. So he goes there. And she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. And watch what she does next. It's actually a, probably a move a lot of us would make if Jesus came into the most shameful corner of our lives. Let's get him back to the surface. How can we get back to the surface as fast as possible? And she says, I see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that's the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she's like, let's have an ethno-religious conversation. That's safer. That's more comfortable. And he, he addresses, he engages with it for a moment. But then he says to the next level, a time is coming, verse 23, and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. These are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, an easy verse to pop right over and move on. And I want you not to miss the profound moment. So far in this gospel, there's only a few people that really know who Jesus is and what he's really about. There's a few people that get the vast proportions of his mission. And he lets this woman in. He lets this woman in on the ground floor. He says, I, the one speaking to you, I am the Messiah. I am he. So I want you to see where it starts with her. She has not shared any news. She has not engaged with anyone bringing the story of the gospel yet. It starts in this encounter with Jesus. And then his disciples return, verse 27, and they're like surprised to see him talking with a woman in Samaria. But no one asked, what do you want with her? Why are you talking with her? Then leaving her jar of water, she went back to town. And she said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way towards him. Skip to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him, stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more of them became believers. And they said to the woman, we're no longer believing just because of what you said, but now we ourselves have heard, and we know that this really is the Savior of the world. So just one example here of an expert at bringing the good news and evangelism, to use that term, an evangelism 
savant, a genius at sharing the good news. She's the most unlikely candidate. She hasn't gone to seminary. She hasn't grown up in church. She has no formal training. What she has to go on is, is her time and understanding of Jesus, her, her encounter with him that was so powerful and transformative. She's not walking back into Samaria going, all right, be cool. Don't look weird. Wait for a good opportunity and then strategically have a spiritual question. Has anyone thought about the meaning of life? Right? Or do you know where you go when you die? Those are fine questions. I'm not bashing those at all. I just want you to see where does it come from from her? I better talk to five people today or I haven't lived on purpose. No, it just busts out of her life. It flows. It glows out of her because of her encounter with Jesus, because of that deep time. I love like the language you use, Heather, of just like saturating in the presence of Jesus. This woman was brought near to God in the flesh and was not told to bow her head but was told to lift her chin and receive dignity and be invited into the mystery of the kingdom of God. And it's from there that she's going, you all have to come taste and see what is going on in this corner of the world at this moment in history through this person, Jesus of Nazareth. It just explodes out of her life because she's had that intimate moment with Jesus. So I guess there's two things that I reflect on here. One, if you're the kind of person that says, like, ah, I'm not really a gospel sharer, that's more of a Denise thing or a Todd thing, or that's more of a Luke thing, or, you know, my son, Brixton's pretty good at it. Like, that's their thing. I'm just not that. I want you to realize, like, this is the first evangelist to Samaria in history. It was a Samaritan woman who was stigmatized for so many different reasons with a really gnarly past, and God decides to use her. So that's the first piece. Second piece I just reflect on, and maybe you have some other reflections, but it's look, look at the, the origins of it. It percolates up. It grows up organically from truly tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Like when you allow God into the corner and the pockets of your heart in life. The places that are maybe scary. Maybe you have duct taped them shut, soldered them shut. You have like put a do not cross here sign, six feet of COVID distance. Don't come near this part of my life. And maybe there's a reason why the good news isn't that good because what you're walking around with is Jesus and my smelly trash. Jesus and my inadequacies. Jesus and that sinful hang-up that I seem to just kind of live in, right? And so you're, you have all of this, this combination, and everything tastes like shrimp, right? It's like all sort of bleeds together. And what, what, did it, what it took, it took coming and letting Jesus into that space and being affirmed as a daughter, a child of God. And so for some of you, you need to, be, you need to hear that again. Maybe you need to hear that every day. I do. I need to hear it every day. I'm a beloved child of God. I'm a forgiven child of God. I'm not defined by my past. I'm not even defined by my propensities. I'm not defined by my family patterns. I'm not defined by my screw-ups yesterday or five seconds ago. I'm not defined by other people's opinions of me, limits on me. 
I'm defined by the God who created me and restored me and calls me beloved child. And that's good news, people. That is really, really, really good news. And it flows right out. And, and the last observation, and then I'll, I'll pray, is um, notice, notice how her sharing of the good news had a really interesting on-ramp. It wasn't like the standard, like there's only one question to really get the spiritual conversation going. Instead, she just shows up and goes, here's what I know. I know that there is someone here who cared enough and knew enough to enter into my life, dignify me, walk through my history. Come and see this Jesus. You've got to come and see him. And so for those of you that you're like one day into following Jesus, or you're like you know, 100 years into it. When it's flowing out of your life, like it's going to leak. It's going to be easily brought up in conversations and you don't feel, con don't, please don't feel constrained by a formula. Okay, by, by this is the only way to do it. I'll give you one personal example. Like for me, probably half the times if I'm sharing the good news of Jesus, it actually comes out of um, the fact that I'm a foster parent and, and um, we've been so blessed to foster adopt our littlest one. And like people always ask, what, now what made you want to do that? What was it that made you want to do that? And I could give all the statistics, like there's 30,000 kids in care, there's desperate need for homes that are safe and well-intentioned to care for these precious children in Los Angeles. And all that's true, but for me, the actual true reason, the biggest reason is because the story, the grand story of God on this earth is that he has adopted me. He's filled out the adoption paperwork. He's brought me to his table. He's called me his child, and I am now in the family of God. And so I will use it. It's an on-ramp. I'll just say, hey, you know, actually, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and one of our biggest beliefs is that God adopted us when we were lost and orphaned. And so we, we thought, what better way to spend our life than adopting babies and, and doing that? It's not weird, right? Like that, that sharing of the gospel didn't like freak anyone out. It wasn't that, it was a little weird. But that's just because I spit when I talk. But it's not that weird. And, and it flows out of where I'm at. So I guess for all of us, it's like as we're praying through this and, and um, we're going to have a moment of uh, some reflection now on, I guess, everything. Like, um, and who's doing that reflection? I feel Luke's <laughs> well-prepared Pastor James. Who's doing the reflection today? Luke's doing it. Um, Luke, you want to grab a sanitizer there? And, um, and I'm going to pray, and then Luke will lead us in a moment of reflection. Lord, thanks so much, God. Thank you that it's good news. Thanks that we're good news people. It's not bad news mixed with good. It's, it's truly good news. Thank you that you have called us, and you've done the work. You've closed the gaps. You've you are enough, thus we are enough in you. Thank you, Jesus. Let us learn from this remarkable story of this evangelist to the Samaritans, this woman. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, James, so much. Uh, and as Heather said, I think that was just pure Cadbury right there. Pure goodness. Ooey gooey. So good. Uh, and I was also sitting reflecting and thinking that the chocolate and all the eggs behind me in those little plastic ovens are also probably ooey gooey goodness at this point, just like James's sermon. Uh, but really, thank you, James. We are so uh, grateful for you, your wisdom, your knowledge.
knowledge and everything, your personal experience that you bring in guiding us into reflection and thinking about, pondering together what it means to be these people who are convinced that this is really good news. And we understand the big story, as James is saying, that we're in the midst of a whole story. All of creation is in this good news story, and we ourselves interacting in that story with this God who comes to us personally and how we see ourselves, that this is good news for us. And so we want to take a moment now and reflect together on what James just shared, that this would truly come and saturate our lives and ourselves, that we would live this out through the week, that we would be people who are convinced of the good news of Jesus Christ, and that as God continues to provide the opportunities for us to share what he's done in our lives with others. So uh, James has invited us to reflect on the origins of good news in your own life. Where have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And how does this then shape how you can share good news with others? So I'm going to pause and Godwin will uh, play for a couple minutes and I'll come back up after our time of reflection.
the gospel, when, when we have the gospel be a fire that's shut up inside our bones, that, that has impacted us so much, that has hit us so much, that we, we can't help but share it, that we can't help but take it. You know, a love like this is, is, is way too good to keep to ourselves. But that's my prayer for you today, that the gospel would, would be like a fire shut up in your bones, that whenever you go to work, you go to the store, you go to a pharmacy, wherever you may be, you, I've, I've got, like you were saying, I've got good news. And this world is so in need of good news. And the best part about it is, no matter where you are, there's a mission field around you. It's here. It's here, you know? And so, man, Lord, would that just be the gospel, Jesus, would the gospel burn in us, Lord? Would it burn in us? Would you give us a burden for souls that we can't ignore, God? Would you give us a burden for, for those who don't know you that we can't ignore, Jesus, that we have to go after? Father, the gospel, you, your word says that the gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. We literally have the power of God unto salvation. The cra That's the craziest thing to think about. It is the power of God entrusted with us to see people come to know you, Jesus. So who would I be to withhold that from somebody? Who am I to withhold that, to withhold power that's not even mine because of my own comfort, because of my own fears? Father, would you just break off any fear, Lord, any fear of man, fear of sharing the gospel, fear of looking weird, fear of awkwardness, cross is worth so many more, so many of those awkward moments. Your glory is worth so much more than what we look like. And so, Father, let the gospel burn in us like a fire shut up in our bones, Jesus.
seen fully accepted. So we pray that today would just be that affirmation that we need, that stamp on our hearts, that you would write on the tablets of our hearts that we are sons and daughters of God, that we aren't defined by our past, we aren't defined by our family of origin, but we are defined by the adoption, by being brought into the family of God. And let that be the news that we share this week. Let it bubble up and spill out over. So we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. Amen. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thanks for being with us this morning. If you need any prayer, find one of the pastors. Denise or James or Todd or myself. We'll pray for you. So just find us. If this is really speaking to you, we want to so thankful that we get to worship together as a community and that we get to celebrate the resurrection next week. Good Friday, the beach, five o'clock. We're going to do just a meditative time together. So if you'd like to join us there, please come at the beach Friday, five o'clock, where the normal services are. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for Easter. Thanks to the online crew for joining us. We love you all. Have a great week. Have a great day. Bless you. Thank you, Alvin, for leading us. Such a such a gift to have you. And I think the kids are coming out soon to do the Easter egg cook. I think Luke was the guy who's supposed to go give them.